Gladys is a 73-year-old woman recently admitted for a cellulitis. She has diabetes, heart failure, hypertension, and she's responded pretty well to the antibiotics, but she's not quite ready to go home. She still needs a few more days of IV antibiotics, some physical therapy, and help making sure her blood glucose is under control. Gladys's family is concerned. What's the likelihood that she'll bounce back into the hospital? Hospitals discharge more Medicare beneficiaries to skilled nursing facilities than to any other post-acute care setting. Unfortunately, about 25% of those patients return to the hospital within 30 days, and it's been estimated that perhaps a quarter of those might be preventable. This represents a huge opportunity to improve care, but the problem is figuring out which patients are most likely to return, and more importantly, what can you do about it? Some studies have suggested that the readmissions are most often driven by the patient or family member being concerned about the care they ended up receiving at the skilled nursing facility. But when studied, other contributing factors include incomplete resolution of whatever landed them in the hospital to begin with, poor discharge planning, or the development of complications or new medical issues that occur after they arrive at the skilled nursing facility. How does one determine when to discharge the patient and predict the likelihood of some of these issues resulting in the readmission of the patient? The latest approaches to this complex problem involve using artificial intelligence or machine learning to try to determine which patients are at the highest risk for readmission, or maybe better, why are they at increased risk? Today, we're going to talk with a talented individual who has helped to lead this approach at Mayo Clinic, and we're going to discuss not only how they went about it, but also what concerns they have about this approach as we start to implement this system in clinical practice. Welcome to Key into Quality, a Mayo Clinic podcast focusing on healthcare quality, patient experience, and affordability. Thanks a lot for joining us. I'm Dr. Timothy Morgenthaler, the Vice Chair of Quality at Mayo Clinic. Co-hosting today's conversation is Sherry Nemec. Sherry? Hello to all of our listeners today. I'm Sherry Nemec, Consultation and Relationship Manager for Quality at Mayo Clinic. You know, today's topic has really been in the forefront for many healthcare organizations for a very long time. And readmission reduction, a focal point for many of the hospitals for a multitude of factors, which you already mentioned with care, but also with things like value-based purchasing. So today we're going to be joined by Dr. Anupam Chandra, who is an assistant professor of medicine in our Department of Community Internal Medicine. Dr. Chandra, could you just tell us a little bit about, you know, how long have you been at Mayo? How did you get here? And what are your current roles and responsibilities at Mayo Clinic? So I've been at Mayo since 2003, first as a trainee, and then I joined staff in 2007 after completing a fellowship in geriatrics after my internal medicine residency. From the time I started as a consultant, and even during my uh, geriatric fellowship training, I was involved with nursing home care. I was blessed with the opportunity to learn from very well-trained and expert geriatricians who've been taking care of nursing home patients for a long, long time. Wow. Well, you know, thanks so much for being with us today. The topic that's been introduced is using artificial intelligence to help predict the risk of readmission from skilled nursing facilities. Maybe you could tell us, how did you get interested in this particular problem and when did you start working on it? Like I mentioned, our community internal medicine practice in Rochester has been taking care of patients in several nursing homes in and around Rochester for several decades. In the last 10 to 15 years, we noted that this population had changed such that we were seeing more and more patients who were post-acute, so discharged from the hospital for care 
because they were not ready to go home because of their complexity or their needs for rehabilitation, which could not be met at home. So these patients were, we were seeing more often rather than those who were living in the skilled nursing facility as long-term residents. And these patients required more physical and occupational therapy for rehab, but they were also on complex medical regimens that needed close monitoring and interventions. And we were definitely noting that they were increasingly needing unplanned care in the form of emergency room visits and even hospital readmissions. I know from my times working in the hospital, that's so frustrating for the patient and for their family and often for those that have been caring for them because everybody, you know, had it in their mind that we had things all set up and, you know, we were trying to make progress and this just doesn't feel like progress. This feels like regress or very disappointing. I know that reducing readmission in general has been an important issue and that there have been a lot of improvement projects over the years to address that. How did you get started on this particular issue of readmissions from skilled nursing facilities as opposed to all the other ones that you could get involved with? So this was by virtue of our practice. We were taking care of patients who were discharged to the area nursing homes from medicine services, from surgery services, specialty, cardiovascular surgery. All of these patients were needing nursing home care for a reason. That is, they were complex and they needed rehab. They needed monitoring. We were seeing that this complexity needed more care and more continuity and better transitions. And this was an opportunity where we could take care of the most vulnerable patients and try to get things improved, you know, in terms of their quality, quality of care delivered. So what were some of the early steps that you took, uh, you know, to become aware of this problem? So that was interesting. Uh, First got time to do this as a career development award in 2015. And so when we started to look around, we realized that we did not even have a comprehensive cohort of patients that were admitted to the nursing home. And each admission was a fax or an email. To get started, we first had to compile this list retrospectively, but it was clear that you know, we have to start creating a registry and which is what we did. We simultaneously started a registry of patients who were getting to the various nursing home. It was a pretty simple step, nothing major, just the name, clinic numbers, and the facilities and dates. That's all we needed. And just this process of tracking our volume made us realize how much work we were doing, that our volumes were increasing steadily over the years. And it also gave us a chance to really study uh, our outcomes. This was our first lesson that, you know, in order to improve quality, first define your population and then measure your outcomes because you can't improve what you don't measure. Created the registry. You started measuring your outcomes. What outcomes were you really looking at when you started doing this? We were looking at 30-day hospital readmissions, need for emergency room visits, because emergency room visit means unplanned care. Mm -hmm. And we also looked at uh, mortality later on down the line. So this was obviously a a large group effort. So who did you involve in the project? Initially, it was our administrative and clinical group in the CIM, Community Internal Medicine Practice. And then later on, we just involved the scientists at the current center I have to acknowledge Dr. Kurt Storley and Dr. Dennis Murphy, Parvez Rahman, who were the key key folks who helped me get this project. You know, when you introduced yourself, of course, you had internal medicine and geriatric specialty training. 
did you come from a data science background or what were your undergraduate studies in? So uh, as a part of my fellowship, I did complete a certificate in clinical research. Uh, we had a you know couple of similar prediction tools, but they were rather simple in terms of the variables that went into the analysis. This was a wholly new area because the predictors were so many. The population was so complex because it's easy to come up with solutions when you have just one disease or one procedure. But here we have patients who are from multiple services. They are inherently complex. They've previously used healthcare in multiple venues. And how do you put it all together and come up with a predictor? That was the challenge. So earlier, you talked a little bit about creating this registry of patients and the potential challenges that came with that. So can you speak to that or any of the other challenges that you had along the way? The first challenge was, you know, know what your volumes are, know know who you're serving. The second was this methodology in which, you know, the current center data scientists were of immense help in educating me and moving this forward. And as we developed the model uh, through machine learning techniques and we were ready, we had a change in our electronic health record that was back in 2018. And we had to essentially redo the whole thing. So we had to validate you know, how our variables were coming from, whether, whether they were comparable with our previous original data set and if our results were acceptable. So we had to redo the, basically the entire thing with the new electronic health record. And that also was an important lesson to plan for because these will happen along the line. So I'm kind of summarizing a little bit just to keep track of our conversation. You know, you started with a very practical observation. You're seeing patients that you worked so hard to get out of the hospital coming back with unplanned visits. And then you created a registry to start measuring, well, how often was that really happening? And a little analysis of, you know, well, what's bringing them back and uh, later on mortality. You um, mentioned a couple things that I just, maybe some of our listeners wouldn't know about. So I'm going to just ask for a little elaboration. One of the things that you mentioned was that you had a career development grant. Tell us a little bit about that. So our department and the Department of Medicine basically supported my time and research to move this uh, project forward. And it's only because of that, that I was able to take these steps. Because so that gave you some time to you know think about this and start putting together your team and your approach. You also mentioned involvement of a, a place called the Kern Center. And I just wonder if you want to elaborate a little bit on the Kern Center and what resources you were able to draw on from there. So the Mayo Clinic's Robert D. and Patricia E. Kern Center for the Science of Healthcare Delivery facilitates evidence-based healthcare delivery to improve practice outcomes. Through its resources, I had access to experts in medical informatics and data science, as well as to scientists in modern analytic techniques, and also personnel who could basically help abstract the data from our electronic and billing records, as well as administrative data, and put it all together for us. That was a mammoth step. cannot tell you how many meetings we had about how we were going to get each of the patient level variables, the hospitalization details, and uh, the number of calculating our outcomes. And then once we had that all cleaned out, then we started the analytic steps with uh, Dr. Storley and Dr. Murphy to come up with the best analysis plan because we knew that the traditional logistic regression methods would not work 
in this situation. So you started dealing with a lot of technical issues and statistical issues that uh, at least I, I know I wouldn't have had the background to do that. It really speaks to their needing to be a team to interact with the clinician. Tell us a little bit about your experience with that as a sort of a team sport, if you will. We have phenomenal expertise at Mayo, and we have an extraordinary wealth of data uh, that we can be using to improve the health, healthcare delivery, and also reduce healthcare waste. My eyes were open to the infinite possibilities uh, with the new uh, machine learning techniques and computation methodologies with the help of the data scientists. At the same time, in each of these meetings, we would sit and talk about what is it that's important to the clinician at the bedside? What would it make if we were looking at a particular variable? What does it mean for the patient? Because unless that nuance was provided, the model that was calculated would have not been as useful as we found it to be. And then from my perspective, having the knowledge or learning that you can do this kind of prediction, even if some of the data elements are missing, or you can incorporate multiple variables in a very diverse patient population. The only unifying feature was how complex these patients were. That was to me was the most gratifying part of this journey because it opens the way that we can study other outcomes in other similar complex patient populations that cannot be categorized as one disease or one procedure, but are overall complex. From your work and what you learned, is there something that most surprised you along the way? For me, the possibilities were infinite. I mean, I was very, very fascinated by how much is possible now and how exciting the next steps can be to look at other outcomes for example, mortality, or for example, ED visits, emergency room visits. And we can do this with using a similar methodology in other high-risk patient groups. So yeah, some really powerful tools there that um, would have really not been dreamed of a decade or two ago are now really becoming available through these kind of interactions between our data scientists, clinicians like yourselves, information management specialists and so forth. So with all that work, what do you have now? What's the current state of the project? So currently we are using this uh, instrument, we call it the Skilled Nursing Facility Readmission Risk Instrument. Uh, We are using it in our Rochester practice to guide prioritizing provider visits or how frequently we see them. We did start a practice innovation quality uh, project to do more enhanced care in patients who were determined to be high risk. But because of COVID, uh, we had to put that on hold. You've gone through this now. You, you're able to calculate the risk. You're following that along. And if I understand you correctly, the formalized project to now act on that increased risk has been delayed a little bit by these recent COVID surges. But I would imagine those are the next steps that are going to be taken is to see what can you do in those people who are at higher risks. Yeah, we have to evaluate uh, what is the impact of any interventions based on the risk calculated. We are wanting to expand this risk prediction in broader nursing home populations. So we are currently looking at the uh, nursing home in the, the Mayo Midwest healthcare system. Like I said, I want to explore its utility in similar high-risk patient populations and look for different outcomes that are meaningful. What do you think is going to happen? You've got this really cool tool. I saw you present the data on how well it worked at, in the validation sets and so forth. What do you think is going to really happen when you start fully implementing this tool? What kind of gains do you think we might look forward to? 
at the very least, it will guide us, plan our interventions better in a more responsible way where our provider resource is limited. So at least it'll guide us in who do we see first and who we do, do we see more often. And if a patient is really low risk, we can potentially say, maybe we are able to send you home with more help at home, more monitoring just at home. So I'm hoping that it'll guide us on that. There are many other factors that go into transferring a patient from the nursing home back to the hospital. So the algorithm does not accommodate for those events. It never replaces clinical judgment in any situation. But I think it'll inform our practice and we can be more informed when we make those decisions to allocate resources. So if I'm listening to your story in, in the podcast today, and I'm from an organization that probably doesn't have the level of resources that uh, Mayo Clinic has to do this work, but I want to learn about our populations and help reduce readmissions, where might be a place you'd recommend I would start? I would say start with the problem. Know who you serve. Know your own care processes. Know what's the most value added in terms of quality of care or safety or cost reduction, and then see if an AI-based tool is useful. Uh, just purchasing a tool because it has an AI attached to it and doesn't really fit your needs or your patient population may not have the desired result. I think it's important to know what you're trying to fix before you try to find the solution. Thank you so much. Any other comments about the nature of this project? Or do you have plans for another project along those lines? The most important thing I want to highlight again is the collaborative nature of this work. The collaboration between the clinical or the medical science, the collaboration between the data scientists, and as well as our information technology. We are incomplete without each other. For example, in this predictive instrument, it's the timing of it. When did we want the predictive instrument to be available to the practice. So considering the end user, if we get a very good instrument that tells us the prediction after the patient has already left the nursing home, it's not as useful. So we have to uh, be clear about what we want and consider the end user uh, when we start to develop this. And that can only happen if we have a collaborative effort when you listen to all parties. Fantastic. Well, I'm afraid we're coming to the end of our podcast, but it's been really delightful to hear from you and a lot of great lessons learned. Mayo Clinic's Key into Quality podcast aims to help you take some of those first steps to address important quality challenges in your organization. The development of this podcast is part of our effort to be a valued resource to healthcare organizations striving to improve. Our goal is to improve quality for the patients and the populations that we all serve. You could really help us a lot by rating this podcast on your podcast platform. Also, let others in your organization know about it so that the information can be spread. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.